Has everybody found Malachi 3.7? Okay, let's stand and read as our custom the Word of God. Malachi chapter 3, verse 7. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground. Nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Father, your word is always rich. And today uh, we are going to encounter some truths from your word that, that point to that fact. And God, we're all at different journeys in our spiritual walks. Some of us have been Christians for uh, maybe a few weeks, some for a few months, some for decades. Some of us might not even know you yet at all. But it doesn't matter where we're at in our life, Lord. We can learn from you, and our hearts can be changed at any moment. Just like every single week and every single year that we preach the Word of God, Lord, we ask that your Spirit be the source of truth, and that I wouldn't be. And I just look forward to being able to proclaim your truth to the church and for them to, to hold me accountable to your Word in the dialogue. And we look forward to our time together. In Christ's name, amen. Well, good morning. As you know from the last week's sermon, we concluded a four-part series on marriage. Actually, more than that, it was to do with sexuality, singleness, divorce, and remarriage, which is, of course, a nice, light-hearted, and easy topic. Today, I thought I'd continue in yet another light-hearted and easy topic, and that is tithing or giving to the church. <laughs> Now, as a pastor, this is my absolute favorite thing to talk to you about, of course, right? Not. We don't like speaking about this because often it's perceived by others as the pastor having an ulterior motive. I know why you're saying this, because you want to, you know, be provided for, and you want this, and you want that, and so on and so forth. And it's, we know the typical stories. It's the, usually the day the non-Christian comes to church for the first time. And what is the sermon on that week? Always in the church. Giving to the church. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. We knew you were coming, so I, we planned this intentionally. <laughs> so yeah, of course, that's what always happens, right? Newcomers or non-Christians come to the church, and of course it's on giving. In my defense, in five years of ministry, we've only had to speak on this issue once, and that's because we're going through the book of Exodus, and when we can't, because we're expository... Preachers and teachers, we came to a section in Exodus that dealt with money, so we dealt with that. But I've never once given a sermon on money in this entire church. So, but again, so in my defense, that's exactly what's been happening in our, in our ministry. And I actually had full intentions of starting a new series today in 1 Peter. We're going to start 1 Peter and go through that book. But something changed my mind about three weeks ago. And that was after Jeff's report 
Jephthah treasurer, and he gave a financial report of the situation of Genesis House. And he gave, it, he gave these numbers on the PowerPoint. He said that we were significantly behind in giving in 2017, or sorry, 2018. Not only are our numbers behind uh, 2017, they're also behind 2016 and 2015. So we are actually three, even in 2015, we were financially ahead more than we were in 2018 at the same, at the same point. That was, so we're about 40%, to give you the details, of 40% behind in giving as of uh, end of March. 40% behind. Now, we, when we began the year, we realized we'd have an 11,000 shortfall based on the, the previous year's tithing. So we figured 11,000 shortfall, so that was no problem because we had 100 grand in the bank. But if we continue at the rate we are going to be in, at the end of the year, we'll be 50,000 in a shortfall. To help you understand those numbers, we have 100 grand in the bank right now. If we do this for two more years, we have to reevaluate the future Genesis House because it'll depleted all our resources. Secondly, we've brought in $90,000 two years in a row. So tithing in 2016 was 90 grand. Tithing in 2017 was 90 grand. If we continue at this pace, we're going to have a year-end total of 51,000. And just so you know, my my salary alone supersedes that number. So never mind, I wouldn't be able to get my paid up base salary. Uh, other ministries in the church that we do, and those who substitute teach and preach here that we pay for their services wouldn't get paid either. So, again, am I worried? No. Am I panicked? No. Should you? No, I wouldn't say so. However, it's the same thing. If we continue at this pace, we, we could be in a little bit of a situation come a year or two from now. And here's the thing. We're a church family. We're a family. We're not individuals, we're a family. We're united as the body of Christ, and I love you too much to not address the issue. And those of you who've been at Dennis's house know, we don't sweep issues under the table here. When we're bleeding, we don't wait till it becomes massive surgery. We, we get the band-aid on right away. And we don't sweep things under the carpet, and we communicate honestly and openly. So I'm here to do that for you today, to share those numbers with you, and to do a refresher on what God's Word says about the biblical given. And uh, nothing is better than using the Word of God to refresh our, our minds about what He actually says about this subject. So again, I haven't preached on this in four, four or five years. The reason has been is we've always financially been a really generous church. And I'm not saying we're not now. I still think we are. But for some reason, we've just got into a shortfall in terms of... Uh, where we're thinking, maybe where our hearts are at starting the 2018 year. So I'll start off by saying this. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, believers are commanded to give. Now in the Old Testament, it was the law. You gave according to the law. But we're not, in, we're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. We're under grace. But what, So you can't do apples to apples comparisons in terms of like the Old Testament, New Testament, in terms of giving. So what we need to look for then is principles from the Old Testament and New Testament that are identical. Principally speaking, I'm going to suggest there's three things as a church that we need to know as we move forward. Three, three principles, and I'm going to address these in terms of questions. So the first principle which is going to address this question. How do we give? Or similarly, who do we give to? Number two, how much do we give? And number three, why should I even give? And what promises exist for me from God, even if I do give? Okay? Those are the three questions. We're going to discover three principles. 
So let's begin with the first question, how do I give or who do I give to? Well, in the Old Testament, the way Israelites were to give to God was to provide for those who were their spiritual leaders. Those were the, Levi the Levites and the priests. Remember, here's how it worked. When Israel came to take over the land of Canaan, that God divided the nation up into 12 tribes. 11 of the 12 tribes received an inheritance from God in the form of land. And in, the, in God's expectation of the 11 tribes was that they were to take on the agrarian lifestyle. They were to raise cattle, sheep, uh, grow vineyards and stuff, and off the land produce a living and provide for themselves. However, the Levitical tribe, the tribe of Levi, never received land. They were divided up amongst the other 11 tribes and put into cities within those tribes. And it was the responsibility for these Levites to be the spiritual leaders of Israel and be their spiritual leaders within each tribe. And the reason God didn't want, well, he wanted them to obviously invest in them spiritually, but he said to them, you don't need an inheritance of land as a Levite because I'm your inheritance. God said, I'm your inheritance. And so the way it was supposed to work was the people, the Levites, I should say, were supposed to be provided for by the people. Now, how were the people of the land to provide for the Levites and the priesthood? Through tithes and offerings. Look at me with me at Numbers 18, verse 20. This is the Lord speaking to Moses' brother Aaron. You will have no inheritance in their land, nor will you have any share among them. I am your share and your inheritance amongst the Israelites. Now Aaron, of course, is the, is the high priest. He says, I give to the Levites all the tithes in Israel as their inheritance in return for the work they do while serving at the tent of meeting. Okay, so God says here, here's what's going to happen. The way you provide for my spiritual leaders is by bringing the tithes from the land to them. And they get this for serving you in the spiritual leadership of teaching you the word of God and also serving in the tabernacle, which eventually became the temple in the days of Solomon. So again, God's design was that the people would take care of the spiritual leaders. And as long as they did that, the spiritual system within Israel would never collapse. It, because it allowed these men to be devoted to full-time ministry service. And it would not force them to go to other incomes to provide for themselves. Or another, sorry, not, not force them to have to resort to other sources of work to provide for themselves. Now this was God's ideal, but unfortunately this did not happen. And this is the context we find out in, find ourselves out in Malachi. Malachi wrote his letter to response to what was going on in the days of Nehemiah. See, in Nehemiah's day, Israel had just come, come back from captivity, right, in Babylon. The walls of the city had been rebuilt. Uh, the temple had been rebuilt. And Ezra and Nehemiah were working hard to bring Israel back into obedience to God. And one area they had to address a concern was the fact that this, this tithing had ceased in the land of Israel. And the Levitical priests were no longer be able to serve. So in chapter 10 of Nehemiah, we see Israel now vowing to be obedient to Nehemiah's instruction to get back to tithing. So they make this public declaration, yes, we're going to do this. But only three chapters later in Nehemiah, this is the scene in Israel. Look at this in 13. 
I also discovered that the portions, or the tithes, of the Levites had not been given them, so that the Levites and the singers who performed the service had gone away, each to his own field. So I reprimanded the officials and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? So again, after all of this time where they made this public declaration that they were going to give, what have they done three chapters later? They stopped giving. And Nehemiah finds out about it and he takes action in the, in, in the congregation of Israel. And this is the scene that Malachi describes in verses 8 to 10. He says this, Will a man rob God? You are robbing me, but you say, How have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me and the whole nation with you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there will be no food, so that there will be food in my house. And test me in this, says the Lord of hosts. So the first principle we can take away from this, and the lesson we can take away is this. As believers, we give to God by giving to those who spiritually invest in us. The way you give to God, you don't throw money up in the air and say, here's you know, some cash and wait for them to sort of snatch it up from heaven. The way you give to God is by giving to those who spiritually invest in you. Now this parallel is seen in the New Testament. The Old Testament and the New Testament are mirrored. I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Verses 1 to 14. And this is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. To help you in context, in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 1, Paul founded the church in Corinth. He was their primary spiritual investor. And here's the problem. The Corinthians were not giving to him. And in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 8, he actually used this phrase. He goes, I robbed other churches to serve you. I robbed other churches. Now, I don't know if this is true or not. But I wonder if Paul was borrowing from Malachi's words. Malachi said, you're robbing God. And Paul says to the Corinthians, I'm robbing other churches to be supported in ministry. In other words, Corinth, you should be giving to me, but you're not. And I've had to go to other churches and I'm robbing them for something that you should have been doing for me. And so Paul in this section gives three reasons for why the Corinthian church should be providing for him. And let's do it together. Uh, the first reason was this. It was his right to be provided for. It was his right. Look at me at verse 1 to 6. And I want you to notice every time the word right occurs in this passage. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If to others am I not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are my seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have a right to take along to, uh, for a believing wife? Even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers in the Lord and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I not have a right to refrain from working? Who at any time serves as a soldier? Actually, I'll avoid that verse for now. Uh, go down to verse 11 now. Verse 11. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share their right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endure all things so that we will have no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. So, we so Paul says this, It was my right to be provided for. It was Barnabas' right to be provided for. 
The reason why is verse 11. If, if we've sold spiritual things in you, can we not reap material things from you? Now, he gives three examples then of how to understand this being a right. And I love this uh, in verse uh, 7. He says, who at any time serves a soldier at his own expense? In other words, if you're a soldier serving for Rome, are you, you going to do it for free? I mean, you expect to get paid as someone who's a soldier. Then he says, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of the fruit of it? Again, so if you're, if you're planting vineyards, do you not get to pick at the grapes as you're, uh, as you're preparing your wine? You have that right as someone working those vineyards to actually eat from the vineyards. Third example, a shepherd. Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? Again, I'm thinking of Jeff this week, because uh, those of you who know Jeff, he just got some goats. Okay? He's, he's raising some goats, and he's going to have his kids uh, help him raising the goats. And Abilene, of course, you're a part of that too, sorry. <laughs> Jeff and Abilene got some goats, not just Jeff. And uh, I'm sure you do most of the work anyway. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, but here's the thing. Was, Paul's basically saying this. Would it not be the right for the Rempel family to participate in drinking the milk if they produce milk from the goats? You know, like, don't, or, or is it just all for profit and they have to sell it all but they can't drink of it? Of course they can. Of course they can. It makes sense that if they're going to raise these animals, they get to reap from these animals. So Paul says it's our right, and he gives these three examples. But then he says this, second, second thing he says is, the law is actually in favor of us getting paid. Look at this in verse 9 through 11. For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing. God is not concerned about the oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it is written, because the plowman ought to plow in hope, and the thresher to thresh in hope, sharing in the crops. So Paul says, even the Old Testament law would support the fact that we should be getting paid from you, because again, uh, an ox who plows a field, it was in the law that they were allowed to eat whatever was, uh, whatever was left over from the field. And they weren't, it wasn't like God says, there's a law in my, in my commandments that you have to basically beat your ox and if they bend down to pick up some food, because that's not allowed. He's like, no, the, the ox who's working has entitlement to reaping from the ground that they're threshing, <laughs> and so on and so forth. So the law was in favor of these guys getting provided. And he gives a further illustration of this in verse 13, in terms of the law. He says, do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple, and those who attend regularly to the altar have their altar, share from the altar. Again, so the priests and Levites were allowed to eat from the sacrifices brought in at the temple and from the altar, and they were allowed to do that. They were allowed to do that as part of working in the temple. So they weren't, that was part of their payment for doing those sacrificial services. And lastly, so not only did, was it a right, not only was a law in favor, Jesus himself endorsed this. Look at verse 14. So also the Lord directed those who proclaimed the gospel to get their living from the gospel. Do you remember the mission of the 70? Jesus instructs them in Luke 10, 7 to go out. And he, here's his response. He says, stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. So principle one, 
those who, in the Old Testament and New Testament, as believers, we give to God by giving to those who spiritually invest in us. So how much? Principle two. How much? How much do you give? Let's go back to the Old Testament. Many of you in here might be surprised to hear this. And maybe some of you aren't, but regardless, you might think, oh, I know what they gave in the Old Testament. They always gave 10%. 10% the Old Testament system. Actually, if you were a law-abiding um, Jew, you gave 23 and one-third percent average per year. 23 and one-third percent. The reason is, is there are three tithes in the nation of Israel. The Levitical tithe, which is the one we just discussed, was given annually, uh, 10%. The agricultural tithe was given annually, which was 10%. This was designed to finance the national celebrations that Israel held every year. So they would have the feasts and festivals every year that they would host. And this was designed to, to get an extra tithe in to be able to finance when everyone gathered in Jerusalem or whatever city they picked to have those celebrations. Things like Passover, Pentecost, and all sorts of things. If you want to look this up, that's found in Deuteronomy 14.22. And thirdly, there was a welfare tithe. I just call it that for lack of a better term. A welfare tithe. This was given every three years, which is 10% as well, and it was given to those who were poor, with, widowed, or orphaned in the land. You can find this in Deuteronomy 14 28. So guaranteed every year you give 20% of your gross income uh, from the fields and the crops and the herds to, to Levitical priesthood, and every third year you gave 30%. So if you do uh, the third year tithe divided by three years, it's 3 in the 3.33 repeating. So the average Israelite gave 23 and a third of their gross income away to the Levitical priesthood. In addition to this, you also had a fixed temple tax that was paid every year, as well as those who owned land had to leave the corners of their fields untouched so that um, the poor and the widows and orphans could come and glean from those fields. So you, as an average uh, income, you might give up up to, up to 30%, maybe 25 to 30% of your income annually as an Old Testament um, abiding believer in God. So when I say this because some people get are very legalistic as Christians about how much to give. So they're like, they're like, they basically make you feel like you're going to hell and you're a sinner if you don't give 10% on the nose. And because Old Testament, Old Testament... I love talking to those people because I say, you want to be an Old Testament Jew? Step up to the plate, buddy. Give 23 and a third percent. Let's see how legalistic you are now. And they don't ever think about that. And all of a sudden, they'll want to back down when it comes to giving that much of their income away. <laughs> okay, so that's Old Testament. So what are we to do in the New Testament? Well, here's the thing. God said or God declared, or in his own mind, that 10% is a good model to taking care of the spiritual leadership and the temple, right? He thought, it was his idea that 10% should be given to the spiritual leaders and the temple. If he thought that for the Old Testament, then it's probably a good number, since God's a pretty smart guy, to basically estimate our numbers off as well. If God thought 10% was required to take care of them, then he probably thinks it's a trustworthy amount for us to take care of our spiritual leaders and our church as well. That would be enough to support the ministry of the church. So 10% is a good model. At the same time, though, the New Testament never commands us to give us 10%, and so that's worth noting. 
So then how do you decide? How do you decide that? This is principle number two. As believers, the one thing God asks of us is this. It needs to be sacrificial. Our giving is to be sacrificial. I want to turn to Paul again in Philippians chapter 4. You don't have to go there about it on a PowerPoint. But in Philippians chapter 4, Paul is in jail. He's in jail for defense of the gospel. Wrongfully charged, of course. Just being persecuted. And a guy from Philippi shows up named Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus is a Philippian church member. And he travels to Philippi to meet Paul, who's in prison. And when he, he, he actually receives a financial gift from the Philippian church because, again, they recognized him as their spiritual leader. So they came to invest in him in a spiritual way to take care of his needs. Listen to the conversation that Paul has with the Philippian church after receiving this gift. You yourselves know, Philippians, that at first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift, for, a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and of abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. A fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice. Well pleasing to God. So we see the first principle being applied here. The, the, the Philippian church understand that to give to God is to invest in the spiritual leaders. So even in jail, in another country, he, another city, he comes with this gift to help support Paul in ministry to take care of his needs. And Paul says, you're the only church doing this. <laughs> Back to the Corinthian church who aren't doing this and they should have been, okay? But, but here's the key. When Paul received the gift, he understood that the gift he received was sacrificial in nature. So here's what he did as their church planter. He would have known their financial situation, looked at the gift he just received, and done an evaluation, and thought, this is sacrificial. In other words, if they showed up with like a Tim Hortons sandwich and a coffee and 10 bucks in his pocket and said, this is from our church, he wouldn't have said, that's an acceptable sacrifice. I mean, that, that wouldn't have cut it for taking care of his needs, right? He looked at the financial gift looked at the evaluation of their circumstances financially and thought, man, this was a sacrificial gift. I don't know exactly what that number was and how he determined it, but he understood it as being sacrificial. And as a result, it's a fragrant aroma while pleasing to God. And again, this is important language. Old Testament, what's in the sacrificial system in the Old Testament? When you burnt an animal, it was, there was, actually, I think about it another way. When Noah got out of the ark, and he built uh, an altar and sacrificed animals. What did God said? He smelt the burnt offering as a fragrant like aroma to him. God loved the smell of the burnt offering after Noah came out of the ark. Pre-law. And when he would see the burnt offerings in the temple, he saw that as a fragrant aroma. So he's using Old Testament language to describe that this financial gift is the same thing. And it's well pleasing to the Lord. Okay, so it needs to be sacrificial then according to the Old New Testament. So how do you know what's sacrificial? Well, this will depend and be different for every person in the church depending on their financial position and their life circumstances. But in every aspect of life where you make a sacrifice, here's what's true about every sacrifice you make in any area of your life. It hurts a little. <laughs> Isn't that true? If you make a sacrifice in any area of your life, it has to hurt a little. 
So, therefore, I would suggest that maybe 10% would do that to someone. 10% of your gross income, that would hurt a little. But if you choose not to do that, or I choose not to do that, it's a number that you would come to in your own conscience to go, oof, that stings. And so, I can't tell you what that number is. You can't. Neither can God. But you and your own conscience have to, you know what hurts and what doesn't hurt, and what's sacrificial and what's not when you think of it that way. So if you're single, it's a conversation between you and the Lord. If you're married, it's a, it's a conversation between you and your spouse and the Lord. But let's use my salary as an example. Everyone knows my salary. It was, it's published. Everyone knows that it's 65000 I got a raise this year. I'm 65 grand as my salary. 10% of my salary is 540 a month. 540 a month hurts a little with a family of five. If... I can tell you right now in my conscience, if I, me and Janice gave 150 bucks a month to the church, I'll go to Costco and drop 250 on an area rug without even blinking an eye. 150 doesn't even hurt me at all. 150 is a, is a good night out at the keg with my wife and maybe you know, another friend of mine. Right? So, I mean, uh, that's my cable bill actually um, with the internet included. Right? So 150 isn't sacrificial for my family. Um, that's still a, it's still a tithe, but that's not sacrificial, okay? So again, this is not legalistic. This is just, you have to be honest in your minds with where you're at. But again, like I said, 10%, I guarantee you 10% of anyone's income will hurt. <laughs> okay, Andrew, so I've got a few questions for you. How much do I need to make before I start to give? I don't really have anything. I'm a single mom. I'm a kid who gets an allowance, 20 bucks a month. Besides this, I've got lots of debt, and I've got lots of bills to pay, and I've got lots of mouths to feed. Good question. Thanks for asking. Well, nowhere in the New Testament says that your starting net worth has anything to do with giving. There's nowhere in the New Testament that says that anything to do with your net worth has to do whether you give or not. If you're bringing an income in, even if it's 10 bucks, 20 bucks, or 100 grand, whatever it is, you give off of that. If you're bringing in an income, you give off of that. Okay, but I am a single mom, and I am like uh, a student, or, or not even a student, because they usually don't work, but if they're working, fair enough. But my contribution won't matter anyway, because it's, it's insignificant to the church. Like, okay, so if I decide to tithe, like if I'm working, you know, make 300 bucks a month, you know, part-time, what's 30 bucks or 25 bucks going to do for the church anyway? I mean, it's the, it's the big income earners that are really going to impact the church. See, that's not the point of giving. That's not the point of giving. Giving is all about your relationship with the Lord. You to the Lord. Luke 21. The widow's might. She comes to the temple... These men are making massive contributions, huge amounts in the temple treasury. And this woman walks up with like basically the equivalent of a penny in our culture and puts in and God, Jesus looks at her and says to the disciples, you see her? That meant a lot to God. He's keeping record and that struck his heart in heaven because she gave out of her poverty. They were giving out of their extra surplus and their wealth. So when they were giving huge contributions, it wasn't even impacting their bank book because they had so much left in reserve. This woman gave huge amounts proportionately to her income. 
Because God doesn't care about the amount. He cares that he was making the valuation of sacrifice in relationship to the, the, the earned income. Okay, what about other ministries in the church then? Can I give to them instead of the church? Because, I mean, I support a missionary here. I support this and that. I support, you know, Compassion Canada. I give to orphans in Haiti, like whatever. You know, uh, can I give to other ministries outside the church and not give to Genesis House? The answer to that is yes and no. Let's deal with a no first. Generally, the answer would be no if this is the situation. If the other ministries have no spiritual investment in you, they don't contribute to any of your spiritual growth at all, then in those cases, you would leave whatever that entire amount of tithe you've purposed in your heart to give, the entire amount goes to the church. Anything else on top of that, then you can be generous through a free will offering. So let's say you think, okay, I'm going to give 8% of my gross income. Typically what we often do as Christians is we take 8% and go, I'll give 3% to the church that I go to who's supposed to invest in us. I'll give 2% to this charity, 2% to that charity. And I suggest that's not what God wants us to do. He would say this, you, you, you purpose in your heart to tie to the church, Levitical, like the Levitical priesthood, the Apostle Paul, and then in free will offering you give above and beyond that if you want to. So that's the answer. So I'd say if they're not spiritually investing, that's the primary principle, then, then you wouldn't give to them. You could, but you still could if you wanted to in terms of a love offering on top of that. But Andrew, our church is really well off. They don't need our money. Like, they're rich. Like, you know, like some of these big churches, especially have tons, they have millions of dollars. They don't need my money. The principle in here, again, isn't the starting wealth of your church. <laughs> the question is, it's between you and your relationship to God. And you to give to those who spiritually invest in you. And here's the thing, the average person in a church doesn't know how the leadership wants to use the finances. They don't. The average person doesn't unless they're open in communication. Let me give you an example of us as a church at Genesis House in terms of how we would use the money if we had huge amounts of surplus. We have something in the Free Methodist Church called the CORE. CORE is a, a denomination, it's basically seed money for church planting. So when we opened four and a half years ago, CORE gave us $25,000 to start up our church plant. And they were going to give us four years consecutive uh, money. So we were, we were going to get a descending amount, 25, 18, 11, 5. Because we were so generous in our church the first year, we in our second year said we don't need any more money. We were self-sufficient in the first year, and for, we, we took the 25 grand and have never took a dime from the Free Methodist Church. Here's the thing. We are asked as a denomination to tithe 10% of our income to CORE to help establish brand new churches. So we were recipients of a $25,000 grant because of other churches' generosity because they had extra money because they had tithing churches. <laughs> Right? So I've, you may not know this, but that Genesis House has given around $5,000 back to CORE in the four and a half years. So we've actually only cost the denomination $20,000. But as we get wealthier and wealthier, we will give more and more to CORE to help establish churches like us. So again, so CORE is something that we to give to. Number two, caring for those within the church. If people here lose their jobs and they financially get under huge duress, and need help, we can take care of them. If we have crises in our church through uh, death or through sickness, and people lose their income, we can take care of them, but only if there's surplus money. Three, 
We want to partner, we haven't yet, but we want to partner with other countries in global mission. For example, I know of pastors in the Philippines that cost them like 30 bucks a month to get seminary training. 30 bucks a month for third seminary training. Wouldn't it be awesome if one day you, you and I, we could send a check over to uh, 12 times 30, um, what's that, like 360? Thanks, 360. Help me if I'm terrible at math. That's why I'm a preacher. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, 360. Like, imagine for 360 bucks, you put a man through seminary every year. Can you imagine that? For 360 bucks, put a person through seminary. Most of our car payments exceed that. And this is, this is like, you know, we want to do these kinds of things. We want to think globally. Um, another thing, our core value, one of our core values is church planting. Did you know that two years ago, Dan had a, it was actually more than that, it was four years ago, Dan Jansen, who we, who we planted a church from, our sister, our mother church plant, he had a pastor in the wing to split Pine Ridge into two. Do you know why he lost that pastor? Why he couldn't actually get the guy to come to Calgary and move from Saskatchewan? Because the other church could offer him a full-time salary and Dan couldn't. Pine Ridge could only offer him part-time, and so he said, I'm going to go where I can provide for my family. He loved the church, he loved the vision, but the money wasn't there. Dan now has just, you, you don't know this, but he just last two weeks ago hired a guy as an intern to hopefully split Pine Ridge into two. But they have now the finances to do that and they offered him a full-time salary. They can offer him a full-time salary because they have a huge reserve of money. You see, this is where when we understand these things, it's important. See, it's not just about me and me getting paid. This has nothing to do with Andrew Dexter getting paid, although it has partly to do with that. Roger preaches here, uh, Jeff preaches here, Stuart preaches here. The money helps support them when they put the work in to teach. We want to church plant. If we have someone come into church plant, we want to be able to say, we'll give you a starting wage of $50,000 a year to help. We can only do that and promise them that if we have the money. And if you're a young person, you, it's great to know that you have this starting income. We want to partner with CORE and help church, plant churches in Canada. We want to be able to partner with other countries and help support other churches in other countries. So again, we are, when you understand our vision, we are globally focused, not individually focused. So we need the money to be able to partner with the Lord in terms of global missions and global work. Okay, well, a lot of times I want to give, but I just forget. I just, I literally forget. I get that. I forget things too. And there's been times where I've missed a tithe and so on and so forth. But why do you forget? Why would I forget? Because there's no charge for coming here. There's no charge. You know, in Germany, in Germany, you have, they, they ask you a question. Do you want your your 10% or I think it's 10%? Do you want your 10% of your salary to go to the Protestant or Catholic Church? And you check a box. Which one? <laughs> Can you imagine that? In Nokatos? Where do you want your your uh, tithe to go to? Uh, the Evangelical churches or the Catholic Church? You know how rich we'd be with Okatos money? Oh man! Incredible. Why do we forget? Because there's no charge. Funny, we don't forget our visa bills. You don't forget your gas bill. You don't forget property taxes. You don't forget when aqua gas is on your door, when you get a speeding ticket from Eric, and you have to pay 300 bucks for a fine. 
You don't forget those things. <laughs> Matt's 400. <laughs> For the same speed. I figure, I don't know how that works. <laughs> but uh, one's Old Testament, one's New Testament. Probably that's it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we don't forget those things. Why? Because we, 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 we're charged. We owe those things. And there's reminders. And again, so here's what, tip, this is my experience. I'm not saying this is everybody, so, but this is my experience. Typically what happens when we forget as Christians, when it does come to our mind, what do we do? Oh, darn, I missed that month. I'll just, I'll better, I'll better just, uh, for, you know, forgive me, God. I'll just um, continue on with this month and try to remember this month. We don't even think of back pay. <laughs> right? I missed January, February. Oh, darn it. Oh, okay, well, I'll just move on and be better in March. But in the Levitical priesthood, God would say, Ah, yeah, but my priests and my Levites need paid, though, Israel. And Paul says, Yeah, but if that continues to happen for too long, like, uh, I'm not going to be able to support myself in full-time ministry. Some of you may think, well, Andrew, I know you're grace-orientated in your preaching and you're grace-orientated as a pastor, but you're kind of heading down a little bit of a legalistic path, and I don't kind of like what you're saying. Trust me, I've had to deal with all these questions in my own life. And when I got married, I had to deal with all these questions with Virginia's. And if her and I ever want to have a fight in our house, the one issue that probably causes our money. <laughs> it's the one area that can cause tension in our family. Not all the time, but we've worked, we've matured, but it still can keep its ugly head. But here's the thing, church, and this is a question I've had to deal with my own life. If under the law, God said, I would like you to give 10% to the spiritual leaders, why under grace, why under grace then would we turn around and say, I'm going to give 2% of my gross income? <laughs> if under the law it's 10%, why under grace, the cross of Christ, would we give zero, one, two, three percent of our gross income? To me, that reflects what we think of grace. Okay, the last question. The last principle. Why should I give? And what promises are there from God if I do? Lesson three. God promises supernatural provisionary care for those who give to him. He promises supernatural provisionary care for those who give to him. Look at Malachi chapter 3 again. Verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me in this, says the Lord. Will I not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows? Will I not rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. You see that? He promises supernatural wealth for the Israelites and protection and provision if they will bring this. But he says this is a test. This is a test. And I, I, I would respell the word test with a different word in our culture. This is what test really means. Trust. Test me. Do you trust? Basically, do you trust me? 
Do you trust me to open up for you the windows of heaven? Or do you not? See, if you believe God will take care of you, you will give sacrificially. If you don't believe God will take care of you because you believe you're actually taking care of yourself, you won't give sacrificially. And neither will I. Now, I'm not saying that you're not a believer or I'm not a believer if we choose not to do that. Because you still can be a Christian and, and still, um, you should still can be a Christian regardless of the tithing aspect of life. Because you can still believe in how one comes to salvation. But there are other aspects about God we need to believe in other, other than the fact that He just forgives our sins and He's the way to eternal life. We also need to believe His promise that if we trust Him by giving, He will supernaturally take care of our physical needs. See, our problem, my problem is this. I just want to know how and when. So what prevents me from trusting God would be how are you going to do this for me, God, and when. Well, if He revealed those things to you and I, it's not a test. It's not a test. And it's not, there's nothing asking you to trust God if He tells you when and how. Where is the faith in that? There's no faith if He tells you how much you're going to get, when you're going to get it. Because now you're looking forward to, oh, cool, I'm going to get this, so I'm going to do this. No, He's saying, test me. So you don't know. You don't know how. And He's saying, I want you to test me. I want you to test me in these things. Well, someone might say, you can't apply this principle to me, Andrew, because this is Old Testament. And I'm a New Testament believer. There's nowhere in the Old Test New Testament scriptures that God ever pr promises to take care of you supernaturally. Well, I didn't read to you the rest of Philippians uh, chapter 4. Look at verse 19 and 20. After he talks to them about the sacrifice being well-pleasing to God, he says this. This is Paul's response. And my God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Epaphroditus, I want you to tell the Philippians this. As a result of their sacrificial gift, God will, will supply all your needs. Paul's basically saying, don't worry. Don't worry. And God says also to us, but this is a test. It's a test. And do you trust me? I want to say something in conclusion to finish off the sermon. I am extremely, extremely grateful and thankful to you as a church for where we're at. $110,000 in the bank as a four and a half year old church plant. I was asked to publicly speak about uh, six weeks ago at a church in Calgary. Uh, regarding a bivocational pastors and what I and they asked me to be the lead speaker to facilitate conversation what I think about bi bivocational ministry and those of you who know me know probably what happened there I ended up getting in an argument with the rest of the pastors about what was supposed to happen there and I was the only one saying bivocational ministry is not God's design not God's primary reason all the men there were actually in favor of it and so I gave them a biblical breakdown of the whole thing but at the very end of the, of the conversation, Jared, who's the church planning director who funded us the $25,000, said this in front of all these pastors. I wasn't even, I wasn't uh, even, I was the only Methodist church there. I knew nobody there. I was just, they were all strangers to me. Jared said to the, the publicly, he says, you need to know something about Genesis House. He said, their church is unusual. He says, in my, in my church planning career, top three or four I've ever seen in financial generosity. 
This is Jared, who's been church, church planning for years in the denomination, says Genesis House is top three or four in the, his entire ministry in terms of seeing that thing. What a compliment to you as a church. And I was like cheering from the bleachers, like inside, like, you know, just saying, wow, like this is Jared recognizing how awesome we've been. And so, like I said, like, I'm really thankful to you for how strong we are. So this, this information, this sermon today, is just to basically say, listen, we're not in a panic situation. We don't have to worry yet about anything. But you also need to know where we're at. And you need to know where we're headed if we don't pull up the bootstraps. And this is what God says to us. And by the way, renting our pack center and increasing my salary this year and have nothing to do with why we're financially hurting. Because our numbers wouldn't even support us uh, uh, in 2015 or 16 or 17 either when we're in a home. So they have nothing to do with location or change in expenses. It's all just purely to do with where our hearts with, are with the Lord and where we need to go. But again, I'm super generous and I wouldn't show you, trade this church for any, anyone in the world. So let's have a time of discussion and uh, be curious to hear your feedback.